Yeah, can you hear us? Yeah, hear us. Oh, yeah. There you go. Bingo, bingo. Can he see us? Can he see us? We see you too. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're all good. Can you take Lula away too? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can take her. And can you take our dog for a walk while you're there? <laughs> Not the dog. You can take her dog for a walk. Welcome back to the Red Fern Book Review Podcast. I am your host, Amy Mayer, and today I'm going to be joined by Vancouver-based photographer Brian McConville. We're going to look at two art books, the first one a book of paintings, called Night Stories, 15 Paintings and the Stories They Inspired by Lyndon Frederick. And the second book we're going to look at is called Vivian Meyer, A Photographer Found by John Maloof. The way this came about was I sent out a note to some friends and asked them to give me suggestions as to books they'd like to see covered on this podcast. And Brian, who's a local photographer, got back to me with, no surprise, an art book. I'd never heard of the book before, and I think it's really unique. What it is, it's a a painter who's based in Maine who's captured the imagination of a lot of famous writers, many of them who you will know, and what he's done is he's created um, an experimental concept where he has put together 15 of his paintings, given each painting to an author who's then created a short story based on the painting. So we're going to talk about that today. And while I have Brian here, we're going to pull out uh, my favorite photography book, It's actually the only photography book that I have, but it's called, um, it's about Vivian Meyer, and it was inspired, I bought this after I saw a really cool show on Netflix about this really mysterious woman who is a street photographer who went unknown throughout her whole life, and her work is startling. It will remind some of you a little bit, those of you based in Vancouver, of the street photographer here called Fred Herzog. Uh, Her work is even a little bit more, I would call, edgy and startling. And she captured all kinds of people from uh, small children to adults, uh, people on the streets to ladies dressed up with fine hats and fur coats from the 1950s and 60s. So we're going to take a look at that and kind of the mysterious story around her. But before we get to both those books, I wanted to give you, um, mention a couple of things that I'm looking forward to reading and a podcast that I'm enjoying right now. The first thing I wanted to mention is that Irish millennial writer Sally Rooney is releasing a new book this September called Beautiful World, Where Are You? Now, if you haven't read her, I really recommend checking her out. Her books aren't long. She's young and edgy. And her writing is chock-a-block with social media references that define and inform her generation. And I'm pretty sure it will be a departure from anything that you've read. Um, She's been called the J.D. Salinger of the Snapchat generation. And she released her first book in 2017 called Conversation with Friends. And in 2019, she released her second book called Normal People. And both books are about how sets of Irish millennials make meaning of their lives and how they love. 
and how they, they're figuring it out. Her latest book is also based, it's got the same premise, and it's a bunch of um, young people living in Ireland. There's some travel involved, romance, and I'm really looking forward to it. Now, for those of you who would prefer to watch something rather than read something right now, I, I wanted to recommend her that her second book, yeah, Normal People, is um, been adapted into a limited series on Hulu and BBC Television, and in Canada you can get it on CBC Gem. And I've heard it's very sexy and spicy, so that might be something to check out. The second thing I wanted to mention is a podcast that I'm really enjoying right now called Daily. And many of you might have heard of it. It is the number two podcast in the world. And what it is, it's um, the New York Times daily roundup of news around the world, but focusing primarily on what's going on right now in the United States. It's really hitting the right note for me right now. I tend to watch a lot of CNN, and it's just become too opinion-oriented for me. And what I really like about this particular podcast, it's 20 minutes long, it's five days a week, and it's ready by 6 a.m. It's a little more, um, it's definitely more measured than CNN, and it's a little bit more akin to BBC and CBC with a, a bit more excitement. So I think it's a, a great way to get yourself up to speed quickly and um, give us some direction during this time. Now I'd like to move over and speak with Brian. Hello, Brian. How's it going? Good. Thanks, Amy. I'm a long-time <laughs> listener. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're here. Yeah. Well, and thanks for having me on. And made it to the, my second podcast, so it's, it's good to have you here. But the reason why um, I really wanted to talk with you is I did ask a number of people to send uh, book recommendations, and you sent through, well, I don't know if I want to call it the weirdest, but the most unusual. And so I was very interested. So I would like, I'm, um, but before, you know, before we get into that, though, I want to tell people a bit about what you do, because that really informs this book choice of yours. And you're a photographer, and uh, I would describe your photography as kind of night photography. Would you would you say that? And like, I love this little, you sent me a little bio and I love how you say this. Your passion is night photography, capturing Vancouver's neighborhoods when most law-abiding people are at home and in bed. So tell yeah. me more about your style. <laughs> no, and I, I think that that is sort of true. Like uh, a lot of what I, I really am drawn to the night photography. Yeah. I think um, that's not exclusively what I do, but, but that's, for the most part, a lot of what I do. And it's partly why I like the people that we're going to talk about today too. But I, I like the the sort of cinematic quality of it um, that night photography can do. I really enjoy the fact that, um, and what I hear from a lot of people, I, I take pictures of things uh, quite often. I'm walking the dog, you know, at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night. And um, it's very quiet and peaceful. And the things I'm taking pictures of are just sort of mundane things in the neighborhood. Um, but at night uh, with, you know, lighting and if it's a foggy night and stuff, you can make things really dramatic, have a real sort of 
evocative kind of, or, you know, they could say cinematic kind of feel to them. So that's kind of what it really, what I am drawn to that kind of, are, that kind of moodiness. Are they ever, your photographs sometimes look like you have choreographed them, but meaning like you've, but you haven't, have you? Like, can you explain that? Why do they look, they almost well, look. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely, um, thoughtfulness to it but i mean it's sort of the genre of street photography which in itself is not choreographed or contrived it's very spontaneous street photography is all about capturing moments and it's so it's not staged it's not you don't have someone um posed and you're not taking multiple uh you know different different shots of it to try and get just the right thing and and like i said for the most part um you know i'm taking things a lot of things on my iPhone for years was just only on my iPhone. And just in the last year I bought a proper camera, but for the most part, you know, walking the dog, just kind of taking things that, but having said that it's, I'm thoughtful about composition. And um, even last night I was walking the dog out in Steveston. And um, one of my favorite, so Steveston just happens to be one of my favorite areas to shoot at night. And it's kind of an old timey feel to it, but it's, just the lighting at night is really, it's just sort of perfect for this kind of stuff. And um, I took a picture of the Georgia cannery. Um, and when I got home, I spent time cropping it. I, like 99% of the pictures I take, I do spend a lot of time cropping to get kind of that composition just right. And like, if you'll notice, like when I take pictures of like with the roads and them and stuff, I try and have like the curb kind of bleed out into the exact corner of the frame and all that kind of stuff. And last night um, there's a number nine in the, in the picture on the wall of the, of the cannery building and I made sure that the nine was like perfectly centered um, yeah. for no other reason. There's just sort of a focal point, but so, no, I am thoughtful about it, but um, technically I still have a lot to, you know, there's, there's a lot to learn. Night photography is one of the trickiest things to do. So now, so you recommended this book and it's called night stories, 15 paintings and the stories they inspired by Lyndon Frederick. So I looked it up and then I was completely amazed because I definitely saw the correlation between your work and this painter. So you've obviously known about this painter and has he been an influence on you or? I wouldn't say, obviously, I think, um, I think you could also say that, um, he's been influenced by me. (laughs) Who am I trying to kid? (laughs) No, he's a guy that, um, I, I discovered about three years ago by accident, just actually in, in researching night photography and trying to find examples, um, not, not, not to, so that I could copy and be like derivative of, but just to sort of educate myself a little bit, you know, more than just sort of who were kind of the leading sort of people. Anyways, I stumbled across this guy, I think initially like on Instagram, which is like the worst sort of form factor for appreciating art. Right. Um, but um, came across him and, and to be honest, at first, um, thought they were like really nice looking night photography photographs of, uh, only, only then I did a little bit more digging and found out that he was actually a painter. Yeah. Um, and he does these incredible, you know, realism, um, you know, photorealistic paintings of kind of like what I was talking about, like very sort of mundane sort of scenes. Um, he's based, he lives in Maine. Uh, most of the, most of the settings are, are in, um, in and around Maine and are very ordinary kind of scenes again, like 
you know, as it's sort of using that street photography mantra, like nothing staged or contrived. Um, he does do a lot of, he takes a lot of pictures in advance. He does do research when something kind of captures his eye, he'll go back at just the right time of day or the right time of night and take a number of photographs um, as part of his kind of research. And when you see the detail in them, you'll sort of appreciate like, like there's no way that you could do that from memory. Um, so I kind of understand why he does that. Right. Um, but yeah, just a really interesting, the, the, I think they're beautiful paintings and I really admire the skill. The, the project that the, the, the book that he's put together, um, I think it took about seven years to, to, to actually put together, but um, what he started to find out or discover was that a lot of writers actually collect his work and he kind of started wondering why and um, started reaching out to some of them. And, um, you know, what he, what he found was that, um, and when you, and when you do go look at his, his work, you'll see like, it's got a very, you know, it's the same kind of thing I talked about cinematic quality. It's very much kind of, begging for a story or it doesn't take much to kind of, if someone said to you, like, here's a picture, make up a story about it. Like there's a lot of ingredients there. Um, and yet there isn't like, I've heard his work kind of described as he sort of literally like paints a stage. So he doesn't put actors in it. There's no people in any of his paintings. There's no, there's very little action going on. It's all sort of implied. And um, but I think that's what writers kind of like that idea of almost um, blank canvas isn't the right term, but it's, but it's sort of like this stage and there's so much left up to the imagination. So and I think us, that's what really draws writers to it. Give us an example. First of all, I want to, these are some very well-known writers. Like some of the people in this project are Elizabeth Strout, Ann Patchett, Anthony Doerr, Richard Russo. And there's a lot of well-known uh, current authors can you tell us about maybe one of your favorite paintings and then explain the corresponding story that this one one of the authors came up with yeah well i think um yeah i think there's some really amazing authors and and richard russo like you mentioned um i read empire falls years ago and loved it and then they made the little movie out of it and he's a writer that i really also um really admire and he he was a collector of Lyndon Fredericks before they ever met. Although ironically, they both grew up in upstate New York and both moved to Maine, but that was the only connection. Uh, but once they actually met, Richard Russo was was able to kind of pull in some of his uh, writer friends into this project, and um, and then others as well. But Richard Russo was kind of the first was the first one on board, and, and basically, the, so the, the the project itself, the book is. Um, 15 short stories based on Lyndon Frederick paintings. And so it was kind of a chance to sort of flip the, the, the script a little bit where writers said they were inspired by Lyndon Frederick's work and stuff. But, Lyndon, you know, it was sort of like the opposite of where here's a picture now kind of write a story about it. And that's literally what he did. He, he took early drafts of most of the paintings, okay. Okay. Um, really small paintings and gave them to the writers and then said, you know, can you kind of create a story about it? Now, I, I know in one case, uh, in one of the, one of the paint, they actually had the art, the writer was given the finished painting and stewed about it for several months. And then it wasn't like instantaneous and stuff, but, um, for a lot of the people that, um, it was, you know, they were only kind of given a, in some cases, kind of a thumbnail 
sketch of, of what it was actually going to be like. And one of my favorites, and it's the one that's the, on the cover of the book, there's a, an author that you probably have heard of, Dennis Lehane. And if you haven't heard of him, he, he's the guy that wrote uh, Mystic River and Shutter Island. And he oh, was a yeah. writer on the um, that show, The Wire, on HBO. And he's had a whole bunch of um, his books uh, made into movies. And I didn't know much about his writing, actually, but... Um, because of, um, this book, actually, I, I kind of have been plowing through a bunch of his, um, novels lately. Um, but, um, yeah, so the, the one that he's contributed to the book is, is called Off Ramp. And the, the picture itself is literally a very mundane picture. It looks like a highway off ramp at kind of at dusk. There's not much, there's, like I said, there's not much going on in it. And like a lot of Lyndon Frederick's paintings, it's kind of melancholy and, you know, it evokes different emotions, but there's not, you know, there's a, there's a bit of mystery to it, which totally suits Dennis Lane's per, writing perfectly. The story that he comes up with, it, it starts with the person driving off the off ramp um, and into a neighborhood. And there's, a, but there's a whole other kind of backstory to it. Uh, yeah. And it's, but I just really enjoy the the writing and stuff. That's great. Um Okay, so let's let's move over to the other book that I bought for us to talk about. And actually, it has also got a similar tone, I think, somewhat. And um, I'll give people a little bit of background on this story and why I chose it. And then I'd like to get um, your input on it. But basically, a couple of years ago, I was uh, flipping through Netflix and I found this documentary. It's called Finding Vivian Meyer. And if you've seen, have you seen the documentary, Brian? Yes. Yeah. You've, you've seen it. Yeah. And it's, it's now available on Amazon and it's been nominated for an Academy Award. And I, it, it really, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's about, uh, a loner woman who grew up, um, she has some ties to Europe, but was born in New York. Anyway, she ended up being a nanny to high end, families in the Chicago area for about 40 years and was incredibly nondescript, uh, wore this sort of dour suit, kind of reminds me of like Mary Poppins, actually, um, brown, uh, in all the photographs, she's never smiling. No one seemed to really know her very well. Uh, one fun fact, she was, uh, Phil Donahue's, uh, nanny for a while. Anyway, the story goes, she ran around town, often took her charges into like um, the stockyards and urban areas in the Chicago, uh, in Chicago. And she always had this, often had a camera around her neck and was taking photographs on a Roloflex camera, which I'm going to have Brian explain. Um, and meanwhile, fast forward, a guy uh, bought a bunch of negatives out of a storage unit that had been abandoned, kind of like storage wars and ends up with a hundred thousand negatives and through a series of research it turns out these are her negatives and he starts putting them on um, the internet and they just they're really unique and it just talks about I think I was as much drawn to her life that no one really knew her and she was this kind of loner and also her work and 
Uh, her work is quite startling, and I just I was wondering, could you yeah tell me what you think about it? And you saw the you saw this uh, video as well. Yeah, the documentary is great, and it's a great introduction to kind of the backstory, which like I, I'm, I'm with you, and I think a lot of people are that the backstory of Vivian Meyer is is almost as interesting as the artwork, or or in some cases more interesting depending on your perspective, um, and. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I immediately, like many, many people were drawn to it. Um, and I've, I've also heard real, you know, uh, revered critics um, uh, of photography and stuff write about her work and talk about her work and um, how, you know, technically, uh, despite having little to no formal training, um, like technically she's really, really strong. Like it's not it's not just that it's kind of a nice story. Um, it's that she was actually really legitimately really, really good at what she did. But the story behind her, I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but the, the story is, is fascinating. You can, you can watch the documentary, but um, it, it, you know, if, if the Vivian Meyer, if they made it into like a feature film instead of a documentary, it could be so many different genres. Um, yeah there's there's like a detective kind of element I to know. It. there's there's a somewhat of a tra- like the people debate this but like if there's sort of a tragic quality too that um that she was that she kept she never showed these photographs to anybody while she was alive yeah and um and it's just by fluke that that this guy is john maloof found them at an auction and um and isn't it true that maybe she didn't even that we don't even know how many she even developed? Like, did she well, even? See that's her a, work? that's the other remarkable we, thing. Like, has, did she even see her work? We're not even sure. Well, it, some of so it. what's what's interesting? So the and like the documentary is um, is really good, and 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 the initial books that John Maloof did are really good. Um, that's that sounds like a grade twelve reviewing book review. <laughs> really, was really great. Good. I was like, really, really good. I was like. I, <laughs> Um, sorry, but the, um, but what's really, um, interesting is that more, you know, this is like, what now, like, what are we like 12 years, 13 years after the initial discovery of her work and she passed away. She died in 2009, ironically, like, like sort of weeks before John Maloof was able to track it down. In fact, what actually, how we actually just found out kind of a little bit about her, um, was that uh, he found her obituary, like he Googled her and she had died like three days before or something like that. Well, no, tell, tell me, she had this camera. What is a Rolleiflex camera? What is that? And she would wear it around her neck. And so she's looking down and often she wouldn't be looking at the subject. And it's a really weird effect because a lot of people look kind of angry and startled, but they don't necessarily seem to see her. Like it's kind of a, do you know what I'm talking? It's, it's yeah. Well, like the Rolleiflex camera was somewhat revolutionary, I guess when it when it came out. There were earlier sort of iterations of this idea. It's called a twin reflex um, camera, and uh, basically the, the the principle behind it is that it's got two lenses on the front, but one is one is the lens that takes the picture. The other one is is the lens for the viewfinder, and. Yeah. Um, and it's meant so that it'll actually replicate close as close as possible to what the lens is, the real lens is actually going to capture. And it, it basically fires off a mirror 
and then up into the actual viewfinder, which is on the top of the camera. And the camera itself is kind of a boxy. You've probably, you know, a lot of people have probably seen them. Um, this sort of boxy camera with two lenses on the front. But you, so you have to, as the photographer, you have to look down. And so um, it was actually perfect for her for from a street photography perspective, because like I said earlier, it's not staged or contrived. It's very in the moment and very, you're capturing these these moments, these sort of candid moments. And so um, in a lot of cases, you can tell that um, even just from the angle, like where, where, where the kind of looking up at these people, like you mentioned that the camera is kind of on her hip and it's kind of discreet, almost like, you know, she's got something around her neck, but like people wouldn't immediately go, Oh, like you're taking my picture. Like you could, you could be really discreet about it. Right. And that's why so many of her photographs have that are kind of angled like that. Cause she's sort of looking up at the subject. Um, but it, but it's, so it was kind of a revolutionary camera and that like, like really, really well built. Um, but also the, the quality of it, the, the negatives themselves were six by six centimeters, I think. So compared to like a 35 millimeter camera, like, like by today's world and digital world, we talk about pixels and stuff, but you could, you could get much more detail and, and quality out of a Rolleiflex picture. And, and it, and it ultimately became uh, one of the, sort of main, like if, if you rattle off names of 20th century photography until, until sort of Canon and Icon sort of took over with 35 millimeter again, it was the camera for many, many years. And now it's, okay. now they're, they're out of business. Although interestingly enough, someone, I don't know if it's how they're doing it, but it, someone, someone is making Roloflex um, camera that look like Roloflex and you shoot like a Roloflex, but it prints out um, instant uh, Fujifilm, Oh, wow. So it's kind of fun. Like if you, so there's still an opportunity. I think they're, they're very expensive to, to, to find one now, like in an antique shop or a camera shop, but um, you can sort of experience the same kind of thing. So yeah. maybe just, you would be the only person buying that camera or maybe, maybe a couple. Well, of not now, not that, <laughs> not that advertising it, but. Not that you're advertising it. Oh yeah. Cause you've got it for free already. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I think that's kind of, that's a good, um, it's a good roundup of those two books. And before we go, I, I did want to ask you, is there any book you you wanted to mention that you really enjoyed last year or that you're looking forward to reading this year? Is there anything that you can kind of... Um, well, to, I mean, in, in, um, in kind of just what's going on in the world right now, uh, I, I'm drawn to um, things that are funny. Uh, actually even when things are good, I'm drawn to things that are funny, but, um, but, but particularly now, and it was just blue Monday yesterday. So I am, um, so I'm thinking more and more about things that will cheer me up, but, uh, I was given the new Jerry Seinfeld book for Christmas. Oh, um, and it's called, is this anything? And I guess it's the, what he, he always, he, he's sort of uh, meticulous about trying out, his work and, and rehearsing it and editing before it ever goes to, a, um, you know, to, to a show. And, uh, and it was, and so I guess he used to always say to other standup comedians, you know, is this anything before trying out a joke on them? Right. But it's basically like 40 years of going back to the seventies of all his routines. And it's actually surprisingly funny. Like it's funny. It's a, it's funny to read even without him doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll check that out. And anyway, thank you so much, Brian.
thank you very much to Brian for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about his photography, you can find him at brianmcconville.photography. Or you can look for him on Instagram at McConGuy. I'll be including all the books, podcasts, and other resources we discussed today in the show notes. And I look forward to your feedback. You can reach me on Instagram at amyvtm. Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to welcoming you back next time on the Red Fern Book Review. See you later.